Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12. That's near the back of the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 12. And when you found your place there, um, find Genesis chapter 32. We're going to be in both places today. We're just going to read Hosea 12, and I'm not really going to preach from there, but it'll help us understand Genesis 32, giving us a little bit more context. Hosea chapter 12. Hosea chapter 12. All right, I still hear pages turning, so I'll give you a second. Hosea chapter 12, Genesis chapter 32. And with your third hand, hold on to your Bible. And here we go. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1 of Hosea. Ephraim feedeth on the wind. And followeth after the east wind. He daily increaseth lies and desolation. And they do make a covenant with the Assyrians, and oil is carried into Egypt. Understand what is going on here. This is not a prophetic little passage that we see in Hosea. Hosea, of course, was a prophet. But he's commenting on the tribe of Ephraim. And he's talking about their disobedience. And he gives a little context by comparing it back to Genesis chapter 32. And we'll see that as we go, just so you understand what's going on. Verse 2, the Lord hath also a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. And of course, Jacob was Israel. And so Israel, one of his sons or Jacob's sons was Judah. Another, of course, was Ephraim. And God is pronouncing judgment upon these two tribes for their disobedience and their sin. So we have a commentary of what's going on, but we also have some prophecy now creeping in. As he says, God is going to judge all of Israel because of the sins of these two tribes. Uh, He has a controversy with Judah. And the Bible says, according to his doings, will he recompense him? Verse 3, he took his brother by the heel in the womb. Now think about this. A long time has come to pass. Jacob, of course, grabbed onto Esau's heel as he was coming out of the womb and received the name Jacob, which means supplanter, or one who takes the place of. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit this morning. Uh, but understand this, this sin has followed them a long time. This set out a, a trend in the life of Israel that God was constantly having to address. And, and uh, if I could put it this way, say, how would you say, how would you characterize this in just a few words? I would say... It's the sin of pride, the sin of pride, always wanting what they cannot have, always desiring to be bigger than they really are. And that was really a problem for Jacob. He was always grabbing things that did not belong to him. So a prideful spirit led to a covetous spirit. And he was never satisfied with what he had. And so he would take from others and he would climb over the backs of others to get what he wanted. The Bible says in verse 3, he took his brother by the heel in the womb and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel and there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Therefore, turn thou to thy God, keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. You say, as I read those six verses, it doesn't sound like God is upset about what happened. We understand that Joseph, or, uh, Jacob wrestled with an angel throughout the night, and he prayed and begged God for his blessing. And I, I want to say, say this to you this morning, 
the reason we have such a positive story in the book of Hosea about Jacob himself, not necessarily the other two, Ephraim or Judah, God is going to judge them. But the reason God is pleased with, uh, with Jacob is because his life changed in Genesis chapter 32. Something took place on that night that would characterize him forever. God, God mentions that he was the one who supplanted. He was the one that grabbed Esau's heel. And we know other things that happened, and we'll look at those in a moment. But God is well pleased with Jacob now because on that night, he finally submitted to who God really was. And we're going to look at that this, this morning. Turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 32. Flip back to Genesis 32 now. We'll read verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go. For the day breaketh, and he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel Eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. That shrank. Let's pray. Father, help us. Lord, I need your help desperately today, Lord, that the Spirit of God may speak and move. I pray that you would take me out of the way. Lord, already I'm struggling for words, and I pray, Lord, that you just... Use this mouth of mine, Lord, to, to communicate your word. Father, I pray you also bless the hearer. Lord, I pray that you remove any distractions from us today. Help us, Lord, to focus on the word of God and upon the God of the word. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray. Pour out your richest blessings. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I once heard a preacher say that no matter what scripture you read... Read it quickly and make a beeline to the cross. And that's what we'll attempt to do today. I want you to notice the story of Jacob is an interesting one. As you know, and we've already noted, Jacob was born and reached forth his hand and grabbed onto the heel of Esau. From that moment, he was named Jacob, which means supplanter or one that takes the place of. Later on in his life, his life was kind of a sordid one. It was one that he would step on the backs of anybody to get ahead. He lived up to his name very well. He would cheat. He'd be deceptive. He would do whatever he could to get ahead in life. You'll remember that later on in life that 
He was a, a gardener. His brother was a hunter. And so he was making a pottage or a bowl of soup. And he sold it to his brother to earn the birthright of Esau. Later on, we would see he was involved in a conspiracy with his mother to deceive their father. When they deceived the father, they would, they would tell Isaac that this was really Esau and he will prepare meat for you, but it wasn't, it was Jacob. They went so far as to cut animal skins and put the fur upon his arms so his father, with the dimness of his eyes, could feel him and think that it was him. And he said in his heart, this is Jacob's voice, but no doubt it's really Esau whose hand I am holding. And you'll remember that his father prayed a blessing over him, a blessing that should have been Esau's. On and on in life we see that Jacob lived well his name of supplanter. But you know, what? you reap what you sow, don't you? We might put it this way, what goes around comes around. And later on, Jacob was in love with Rebekah. And he worked seven years to earn her hand. But on the wedding night, it was Leah that was brought to his tent. And in the darkness of night, he did not know. But in the morning when he woke up, he found another woman that he was now married to. But he would work another seven years. And he gained Rebekah. And from those unions and from other wives, the, the handmaidens given to be his wives as well, he would have 12 children, 11 sons and a daughter named Dinah. And later on in his old age, a son named Benjamin. But the way he lived his life, he should not have been angry when it was done to him. When Leah supplanted Rebecca, incredible, what a story. And we see it played out in his life that he was always trying to get ahead. And now he decides it's time to return to Israel. He'll go back home. But his brother hated him. You'll remember the reason that he fled to Padanaram in the first place was because his mother thought that Esau was going to kill him. He better get up and flee for his life. He better get away. And so he did, and he spent at least these 14 years and, and several more after that, the Bible says, serving Laban. But now he would return home. And even that he didn't do very honestly. The Bible says he slipped away in the middle of the night with all his family Pretty hard to take some of these grandchildren from them. But that's exactly what he did. I want you to notice a couple principles here quickly this morning, and then we'll move on to the, the thought that I want to leave with you today. The Bible says they came to this place, and they're about to pass over this brook Penuel, and as they are there, and knowing that the next day that he will meet Esau, he becomes fearful. A message has come back that Esau is coming, and we will find out later he will come with 400 of his men. That's an army. And Jacob thought for sure, perhaps we will die. And so that night he divided up his family, and he put some over here and some over there. And in case, in case Esau's uh, family and, and those that were with him would fall upon them and kill them, he wanted them to be separate, so maybe some could escape alive. And he went off alone to pray. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 24 of Genesis chapter 32. 
And the Bible says he began to wrestle with this angel. There came a man. Jacob believed with all of his heart that it was God. He says, he says later on that he, he called the names of the place of Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And we have no reason to doubt him. He believed he saw God. Hosea doesn't mention that. But Jacob believed that he had met God face to face. What an encounter. You know, we have that same opportunity today to go boldly in the throne room of grace. I, I, I love that last verse of, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, that line, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. What we know by faith today, one day we'll know by sight. We can go boldly in the throne of grace and, and with all the faith we can muster, we can bow down there before that throne and we can plead to God and Jesus seated on the right hand and the Holy Spirit is there because the Bible says in Romans 8, he is forever making intercession for us. He's searching our hearts and he's praying uh, in a way that we don't know how to pray because he knows what's best for us. What a wonderful place. But even that cannot compare to standing in the physical presence of God. And one day we'll see Jesus face to face. Right now we live by faith. Right now we see through a glass darkly. But one day the veil will be lifted from our eyes and we'll see Jesus clearly. And what a day that will be. But here Jacob has this encounter and I want you to notice a, a couple things quickly. First of all, we notice his prayer. The Bible says in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. It was a persistent prayer. This time he wrestled with the angel and looking for the blessing of God from him, it lasted all night. He said, well, I don't see that it's a prayer necessarily. I don't see that he's talking to this angel. The, the Bible says in verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint and he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. That was his prayer. Whether or not he voiced it over and over throughout the night, he held on to that angel of the Lord. He held on to that man that came with him that night because he so desperately wanted his blessing. And no doubt this man knew that. And he even touched the hollow of his thigh to try to get him to break loose to see how persistent his prayer would be. Hosea put it this way, as we've already read, he called it a night of supplication. Supplication is a groaning of the spirit, a broken heartedness, no doubt in this case generated by his past and his fears. We understand this. When you have taken your whole life and you have stepped upon the backs of others to get to where you are, you too must always look over your shoulder. You're always wondering who's coming to take it from you. And here he is about to go home and to meet Esau, and he's wondering, am I going to lose it all? It's evident in his behavior because he separates his family because he's afraid that half of them may die that night. When he comes to meet his brother, he will put the, the, the handmaidens in the front with their children, two of them, and then he'll put Leah behind them, and then he'll put uh, Rachel and, the, and his son Joseph in the back, and, uh, uh, and he'll leave them all uh, so that some, maybe some could escape alive. 
He was afraid of losing what he had. You see, when you take and take your whole life, you'll always be looking over your shoulder. A paranoia came up in his heart and his life. And so he prayed all night. The victory that he sought was restoration with his brother. And the victory that he sought was a return to his homeland. So we see it as a persistent prayer, but it was a prevailing prayer. The Bible says in verse 25, and when he saw that he prevailed not, that's the, the angel, the man. He could not prevail. He wrestled all night with Jacob and they wrestled back and forth. And the angel says he did not prevail. Now, how many of you know, I'm sure he was holding back. I'm sure he came into this confrontation knowing exactly how much Jacob could handle. And he pushed him right to the limit to see if he would give up. I know, I know for a fact that if any one, one of us wrestled God or an angel, we would surely lose. So the God of the heavens sent this angel, or he came himself as the angel of the Lord, and he wrestled with Jacob and put just enough pressure on him to see would Jacob hold on? The word prevail means he had enduring strength. Jacob says, I'm not giving up. I'm going to be persistent. So much the more that I'm not letting go until I win, even when he touched the hollow of his thigh and he began to suffer. You know, the hollow of your thigh is that spot right in the back. Several years ago, one night we were, uh, we were playing games with Barry and Jennifer Rutherford. And they were just about to move out to BC. They were, I mean, the moving truck had come, it was loaded, and they were leaving the next day. And so we, they called us and, and we said, well, let's get together and let's have one last night. And we were going to play some games and Bethany and, and Isabel were friends and they were going to play. And, and uh, so we got playing games at about nine o'clock at night. They got that moving truck loaded up and they came over and we were actually at the church. We had sold our house and we were moving out and we were at the church. And so we, we got there and we were playing these games and we played until six in the morning. We played all night. We were having such a good time. We didn't want it to end. We just kept playing and playing and playing and playing. And Bethany and Isabel, they played all night. We said, well, let them play. They're not going to see each other for a while. And we let them play. Finally, Bethany just said, I'm going to bed. And she went and put herself to bed. It just We had a great time. We had fun. But here's what happened. We sat there for those nine hours and then went to bed around 6, 6.30. And a half hour later, I woke up screaming. I had a charley horse in the hollow of my thigh. I've never had pain like that in my life. I never had pain like that. I thought I'd been shot. And if you ask my kids, it was the funniest things they ever saw. And I stretched and I ran up and down the hall and I could not get it to go away. For a half hour, that thing was just screaming pain. And I wonder, is that what Jacob felt like? The pain? Kelvin came to work the other day. He said, I had a Charlie horse. I've never had a Charlie horse in my life. I said, well, hang on. It only gets worse now that you're 30. Amen? <laughs> Old man. I never had pain like that in my life. My wife's probably sitting there laughing. I can't look at her right now because she remembers that night and the, the screaming pain. I've never had pain in my life like that. Jacob was going through some suffering. When God disjointed his thigh and touched the hollow of that thigh, that sinew, that tendon, and caused it to shrink. He would halt upon it the rest of his life, but even in that, he said, I must prevail. I think Jacob had that spirit, didn't he? He always wanted to win. But this was a good time to win. 
A time to prevail with God and a time to be persistent in our prayer. Then we see, secondly, his plea was a plea for God's blessing. For his entire life, Jacob had thought he could get ahead on the backs of others. He could go out and grab what he wanted. He could take what he wanted. He could steal what he wanted. He could cheat people. He could deceive others. And he would get whatever he wanted in life. But not tonight. Tonight he had to plead. Tonight he had to ask. Let me say this, friend. You might be running around in all your talent. That'll only take you so far. You might have all the charisma in the world, but that'll only get you so far in life. When we first went to Hamilton, we had a young man in our team group that had all the talent in the world. His mom would tell me that when he was a little boy, she would have ladies' prayer meeting in her apartment, and he would go in the other room, and he was only two and three years old, and she says he'd go in there and he'd plunk on the piano, just make noise. And she says one day when he was three, three and a half years old, she says we were, we were having prayer and talking and sharing requests, and one of the ladies says, is that Jesus loves me? When did he learn to play the piano? They said he didn't. He just started plunking away to the point where he could start hearing it. And he started putting notes together. He couldn't read a stitch of music, and yet he could play anything. He's 18, 19 now. He could just sit down and play it. He was a prodigy. He could sing like you wouldn't believe. Just all kinds of talent, just oozed with talent. And you say, where is he today? Nobody knows. He's living in a homosexual relationship. Ran off. Living in sin. You see, you can have all the talent in the world. Listen, I always say this. Charisma without character is nothing. And that's exactly what Jacob had. Jacob had the ability to get things. But he never had to rely upon anybody else. And that's the lesson he's being taught this night. So he was pleading and he understood now that he's facing perhaps the death of some of his family members and perhaps he's facing a very difficult situation with his brother. He's never had it so hard. And so now he has to plea, God, I need your help. So he goes to God and seeks his blessing. But it's also a plea for God's mercy. It was the fear of his brother in the first place that brought him to this place of being all alone, alone with God. But I want to dwell on this for a moment this morning. I want to give you a couple principles. Number one, the principle of prevailing strength. Look at you all verse 27. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Let me ask you, do you think for a moment God didn't know his name? This wasn't about this angel of the Lord trying to figure out who he was. He came to him on purpose. He knew exactly who he was. This was about Jacob admitting who he was. Jacob means supplanter. One who takes. One who takes the position of another. One who cheats and steals. One who deceives. 
On that night, he'd be forever changed and God would give him a new name. Jacob, for all this time, had just been relying on himself. He'd been doing what he thought was right and how he could get ahead. And he, he was always, if, if you were to go to Jacob's home, I imagine he could pull out something, a book or something, and say, well, here's all my plans. Here's my five-year goals. Here's, and, and not find a thing about God in it. It's just all the things he wanted to accumulate. All the things he wanted to do. But real power does not come from self. And that's the principle I want you to get today. Real power does not come from self. Like I said a moment ago, you may have all the charisma in the world, but without God, you're nothing. You may have all the talent. People might be jealous of how you sing or how you teach a Sunday school lesson, how you go out in the community and you can just have that charisma about you and people are drawn to you and people might say, I wish I could be like that. But without the power of God, we're nothing. We're nothing. Jacob had to this point lived his whole life like that. He lived his whole life without the power of God. And it didn't turn out very well. You can say, oh, but look what God has given him. A beautiful wife and children and, and quite a family that would travel with him and others that loved him and God had blessed him and, and all, the, all the livestock that he had. It was incredible what he did. And yet he was separated from the promised land. He was taken away from his family. He missed his brother and the relationship he had with him. All because everything he did, he did it in his own strength. Jacob had to come face to face with his past. Jacob, the supplanter, who tries to take the right of the place of another, now had to admit that he was wrong and he needed the blessing of God. I guess that's why that video, that preacher that I shared with you this morning Grab my heart. Because sometimes we're like that, aren't we? It's all about the things I've done. The only right answer is the man on the middle cross. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Listen, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. You want to say, why did the apostle Paul have so much power? Was it because he was a great speaker? No, he said, I came not to you with enticing words. I struggled when I, when I there was no power, but I came to you in the spirit and the fear and the power of God. He says, I, I wasn't a great speaker, but God's power was on me. Oh, did we, was Paul the one that was brought up in Sunday school and raised in the church and accepted Christ as a little boy and went off to Bible college? No, no. Paul was the one that killed people for trusting Christ. And God had to strike him down on the road to Damascus. 
Paul's power was not from his background or from his charisma or from his natural ability or talent. It was because the power of Christ rested upon him because he was crucified in the flesh. Paul said it this way also, I keep my body under subjection lest I become a castaway. Over and over in the scriptures we're reminded that if we want the power of God upon our lives that we must turn to him the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Let me ask you this. Have you ever used the phrase good enough? It's good enough. We do it sometimes, don't we? We, we, we cook a meal. It doesn't turn out just how we want, but we go, well, it's good enough. You hate to throw away anything today so expensive. So you say, well, we're going to eat it. It's going to have to be good enough. We've all done that. Let me say this. When you're doing something for Christ, don't ever say good enough. I I heard this. I was was listening to a baseball game one time on the radio while I was driving. And I heard this phrase, and it it stuck with me. It's imprinted in my mind. The motto of this company was this, a stubborn, pig-headed resistance to mediocrity. A stubborn, pig-headed resistance to mediocrity. Do you know what it was? It was a beer company. And I thought, oh. But the children of God were just happy being mediocre. And a beer company says, we want the very best. I can be careful because I get angry about alcohol lately. You will be mediocre your entire life unless the power of God rests upon you. Oh, you might be able to do some things. Jacob was able to multiply the livestock through his earthly wisdom. God even, you might say, blessed him with a wife and children and those things. It seems like he had a fair bit amount of wealth. God took care of him. Let me say that was in spite of Jacob, not because of him. Because God had a plan for his life that God would meet him at this place and change him forever. Jacob, who are you? What's your name? Jacob, the supplanter. Admit who you are. That's who I am. Oh, it didn't come easy. You'll notice in the scripture that he touched his thigh before he asked him his name. He had to go through some suffering. He had to experience some sorrow and some pain. There was some fear too, wasn't there? He thought for certain that likely he might lose some of his family members. This might be a war, I don't know. It's interesting to think, in in my mind, I'm thinking, if you think that that your family may die in this venture, why would you do it? But he did it. And that fear in his heart and that pain in his leg, finally, after a long night, he was ready to admit who he was before God. And his name became Israel. Do you know what Israel means? One who prevails with God. It also means 
one with the prevailing power of God. From that point on, he would walk around with God's power upon his life. He said, well, what did it do for him? I would say it did a couple things. One, it changed his attitude. When he came upon his brother, his brother hugged on his neck and they wept. And he said to him, who are all these that are with you? Esau said to Jacob, who are all these? He says, these are my family. And he said this. He says, and I bring them before my Lord. He humbled himself before his brother. He called him Lord. Not in the sense that God is Lord, but just in the sense of, I, I, I want to serve you. I'm your servant. I humble myself before you. As those 400 men would come, the Bible says that Jacob would approach them and as he saw them in the distance, he would bow himself to the ground seven different times in honor of his brother. For years, he was always trying to get ahead of his brother. He wanted his birthright. He wanted his blessing. He supplanted him over and over, but now with the touch of God upon his life and the power of God in it, he didn't need it anymore. Hey, listen, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Isn't it interesting that after Jacob received the prevailing power of God, now he's called Israel, he no longer cared about Esau's birthright or Esau's blessing or anything else. He didn't even care about his own ego or pride. He'd bow himself before his brother. Boy, we live in a day and age today that says, well, pastor, I want to leave church feeling all lifted up and all excited. I mean, stroke my ego. Tell me, listen, I love the fact that I'm a child of God. I love the fact that my father's a king. I, I love the, the, the idea that I have a home in heaven and that Lord willing, one day we'll rule and reign with him. I, I'm a I'm a prince. And you're a princess in the kingdom of God. I love that. But I also know, like the apostles of old, that of sinners I am chief. That I'm a worm. The Bible says that I'm feeble. God knows my frame that it is frail. I am dust. My life is but a vapor. We have to remember who we really are if we want the power of God to rest upon us. Wherefore, let him thinketh that he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. That's the Bible's way of saying, don't ever think we're just good enough. That mediocrity is okay. Well, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good I haven't killed anybody. I don't cheat. I don't gamble. I don't cuss. I don't smoke or chew. You can talk about all the things you don't do. But God is not interested in what we don't do. He's interested in what we do through the power of God. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And don't get me wrong, it's, it, it's a good thing to have standards. 
personal standards of separation. That's a good thing. It's important that we put away some things in our lives that are dangerous to us. But what are you actually doing for God? Well, I, I, I'm going to church. I didn't ask you, both sitting in a service and listening to music and preaching, what are you doing for God? Are we content being good enough? Are we okay just being mediocre? Because without the power of God upon our lives, we'll, we can just keep coming to church every Sunday. Listen, it, it doesn't take the power of God for you to drive over here and sit in a pew. But it takes the power of God to see you tell somebody about Jesus and lead them to Christ. It takes the power of God to open up the Bible and, and say, listen, let me, let me teach this Sunday school class. And, and you can say, well, I, I can do that without the power of God. You sure can, but you won't have any impact whatsoever. There'll be no change. We have a generation of kids in this church that the, the pattern is really they'll come for a little while and they get to be 12, 13 years old and the world grabs a hold of them. That's the pattern. Jennifer, how, how many kids were in our kindergarten Sunday school class? Like 30, 40 was huge. How many graduated grade 12? I think you and me. We're, we're the same age. She doesn't want you to know that because I just turned 50. <laughs> She's younger than me, though. You're not 50 yet. I'll, I'll give you that. But I think we were the only two that went from kindergarten right through. Now, some moved away. Some moved away. That's, that's fine. But of class, I mean, junior church packed out with all kinds of kids. What happens? they got to see the power of God in us. Let me ask you this. Would any of these kids want what you have? Well, i got a list of rules. Well, that sounds fun. Again, it's, you ought to have some standards. You ought, to, you ought to believe some things that change your behavior. But do they see Jesus in you? Do they see the power of God? Jacob's attitude changed, and so did Esau's. That night that God changed Jacob's heart, he'd already been working on Esau. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ. You won't find a, a, a scripture in the entire Bible that says that you have the power of yourself to go out and do something great for God. Here, here's what I know. Ordinary men do great things every single day. Ordinary men do great things every single day. Athletes do crazy things. things, things you, you can watch the sports highlights and you will see something amazing every time. But it takes a man with the power of God to do miraculous things. And that's what we desperately need. James says it this way, but God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. He said, pride, proud, that's when we think we can do it on our own.
That's pride. I'm good enough to go to heaven, like the preacher was saying earlier. If you answer in the first person, you're off track. But if you say, because Jesus did this, because Jesus saved me, because his blood cleansed my sin. Oh, I love that line, the man on the middle cross said I could come. If you think about it, the thief on the cross didn't know much more than that. He just turned to him and said, remember me. And I'm here because of him. Let me say this. When God humbles you and puts his power upon you, there will be a reminder. The Bible says there in the last verse, Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the sinew, that strength, that shrank. For the rest of Jacob's life he would limp. The Bible says he halted upon his thigh. Israel wouldn't eat that part of the animal anymore. I suspect before that they did. You imagine they're, they're cutting up that animal, they're eating everything. They're eating the heart, the kidneys, they're eating everything. And they get to that little piece of tendon and they set it aside. The children say, why, why aren't we eating that? We're hungry. We don't get meat very often. The Jews were a persecuted people. I'm sure they suffered a lot. Why can't we eat that? Because God wants to remind us that we have to humble ourselves and seek his power in our lives. We're, we're in a tough situation, kids, and we're never going to get through it if we think we can do it. We need God. And let me tell you the story of Jacob, how God touched the hollow of his thigh one night, and as he screamed out in pain, he also prayed, God bless me. I can no longer do it on my own. Finally, Jacob had come into a circumstance that was just so big it even overwhelmed him. And so he turned to God. And God humbled him and he limped the rest of his life. Listen, if God changes you, you'll know it. Break your heart. Tears will come easier. Your heart will be moved easier. But we must humble ourselves to God. Pride will see no power. Let me say this, and I'm done. I don't know what time it is. If you won't do it for you, do it for your children. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just coasting along. I'm happy to live the way I am. I, I don't want to change. I, I'm afraid it might mean more responsibilities, bigger things that are going on in my life. I, I don't need that right now. I'm busy. You'll stay busy doing things in your own strength. The devil will keep you so distracted and so full on your calendar. But if you'll humble yourself and give yourself to God, you know how much easier it is to do things in the power of God? How much easier your life will be? But listen, you say, I, I don't want to change. Do it for your children. They need to see Jesus in you. They need to see the power of God in your life. Let's bow our heads this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you just deeply embedded in our hearts that we can do nothing without Christ. 
that there's no power within us without the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, we need a moving of your spirit. We need your power. If we're going to see another generation of this church go on, we must have God. So I pray that you move and speak to our hearts today, we pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The altar's open even now if you'd like to pray here. But could I encourage you even now, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. We need his power. Israel means prevailed with God. Can you imagine? What if we got to heaven? I I don't have any scripture for this. I'm not trying to read into the Bible. But what if you got to heaven and you got in line and God just said, here's one who prevailed with God. Here's one who had the power of God upon their life. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I don't know. I'd rather that be said than here's one who lived for self. Here's one who fought and clawed to get everything they could in this life. Yet they didn't know me. Like the preacher on that little clip says, I have to preach to myself every single day or else I think I'm something I'm not. I start adding works, how good I am. We must keep our eyes on the cross of Calvary. Maybe there's one here today say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today without Christ, I'd certainly be lost and go to hell. Let us help you today. We'll show you what the Bible says about having eternal life through Jesus Christ. Is there one that I could pray for? Can we help you? Just step out and come. We'll meet you here and we'll answer any questions that you have. We won't embarrass you, I promise you that.